Hi, I'm Kunal Jathal, and it took me 30 minutes today to decide between ordering a taco or a burrito bowl. Hi, I'm Matt Valerio. I'm 41 years old, and I've high-fived Corey Feldman and shaken hands with Ice Cube. So, Matt, first of all, thanks a lot for doing this. The universe I feel is sometimes a bit of a troll because it presents opportunities to you so closely yet they are so elusive, and I think this is a great example of that where like we work in the same space, yeah, often back to back. Often back to back, and the studio that we're recording this at is also in the same space, yeah. in the same <laughs> building that we work at, and getting you here in the studio to just have a conversation and we've had many conversations it's been a bit of a logistical adventure yeah. <laughs> um so one of the reasons that i was really excited to talk to you was because you're very open with your past relationship with alcohol mm-hmm. right that like you you speak about it in a very like as a matter of fact way mm-hmm. and i'm a big fan of that because i think that represents the normalization sure right of what are ultimately very difficult and very private and very personal but also very human experiences mm-hmm. so i thought there was an opportunity to maybe ask you about your personal experience and journey with booze mm-hmm. how you got into it and then i guess maybe also like why you were doing it and then yeah what your journey was in starting to take steps to transcend it Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it came from the lifestyle I was living, being a musician, you know, having the anxieties and insecurities that I have. The alcohol helped to deal with those anxieties. If I was nervous before we performed, I'd have two beers. Usually not more than that, but that and that was enough to take the edge off. And it would make me a lot less nervous getting in front of people. And then once you're doing that every night when you're on tour and performing for a month straight with like two days off, you start to develop habits and soon like you start to develop that tolerance mm-hmm. and then two beers isn't enough like you're doing two beers and a whiskey two beers and two whiskeys like it just started to kind of snowball a little bit and i started using alcohol as a crutch when it came to my social anxiety because like i loved to perform because i just love sharing the joy of of music and art with people and if i can help provide that for them as something that i'm making with my friends that brings me a lot of joy too it's just like the act of getting out there that was the hardest for me and you know when i started performing less and started djing more i would need to get pretty drunk as i dj just to be able to like deal with the nerves of like i'd physically be shaking like when you're trying to put a needle on a record and you're shaking like from anxiety right like you want to do something that's going to numb that so then you start drinking more and then all of a sudden like you're not remembering the end of the night when you got paid by the venue and like you just start to lose track of some things you know mm-hmm. but it helped me be able to like talk to people because i've never been the type of person that will go out to bars and like try to pick up women or anything like that like i'm not outgoing in that sense i don't have that confidence i don't you know it 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 it, it was just the social lubricant mm-hmm. really but mm-hmm. then once it started to be something that i would do every time my wife would go out of town like i would raid the liquor cabinet and just drink a ridiculous amount like you know if my daughter was at my mother-in-law's house or something like that and 
I wouldn't get super drunk and like wallow in my sadness. If anything, the drinking numbed the intrusive thoughts and everything. So like, I'd be happy. Like I was like a happy solo drinker. But wait, so this was happening now. You were just at home and let's say your wife's on vacation. Mm -hmm. This isn't a social setting anymore, right? right? Like before you said you were nervous to be DJing in front of all these people and your hands were shaking. So you would drink so you could put a needle on a record. Mm -hmm. But how did you get from there to wanting to drink at home where like there's no one? I think it was just having developed the habit of being able to just feel good mm. just by consuming alcohol. It mm. just... You know, if I had a long day at work, not even a bad day, but just a long day where I just wanted to mentally unwind at the end of the day, you know, I'd get a little thing of whiskey or whatever and like think that that was going to be it. Mm. And like, I'd get a little buzz from that and then like be like, eh, I'm going to go get a little bit more. I would drink, I'd be hung over the next day. Then I would get the impending doom anxiety feelings. You know, it would just heighten my anxiety in general. And so then I would drink the next night to kind of calm that impending doom feeling. So you were drinking because you had anxiety, but then the aftermath of drinking just actually exacerbated your anxiety. So then you would drink more to push that anxiety down. And then it becomes this addiction to a sensation. Yeah. I mean, that's exactly you saying that I became addicted to the feeling or the sensation. That's exactly true. You know, because like I was just like, well, I know a surefire way to feel good, at least temporarily is to do this, yeah. you know, like, and because again, it would spark my happy thoughts. It quieted some of the dark stuff and brought the happy stuff up. There's something to be said about like, if you need that to get through your days, like that's, you need to start figuring out better ways to be happy in your regular life. <laughs> and I think that's like when I switched around my priorities and started like really putting a lot more emphasis on like wanting to be there and be a good dad and everything like that. Like I shifted my priorities and just like really put all my energy into that. Hmm. And that gives me joy. I mean, as much as my mm -hmm. daughter stresses me out sometimes, like it's, it's amazing. Mm -hmm. Like seeing, like just looking at her sometimes, I'm just like, we made her. That is weird and incredible. It's a feeling that is like, I'm sure every parent describes it, but it's like, it's, it's so hard to really explain to, to anyone until you like see it and, and like feel it and you start to see your own traits in the kid and they start to say things that are like funny and just, I mean, when my daughter said the other night, like when I asked her if she had a plate of, is that a plate of olives that you have? And she's like, yeah, and I'm going to eat all of them. And I was just like, oh, you're making dad jokes. You're making me proud. But it's like when, when they have these, their own personality like that, it's just like, that brings you joy. Mm. And just looking at her and just like in awe at like, her existence and like there's something about it i'm like oh right i'm a dad and i'm her dad mm -hmm. and there are times that i'm just like i can't believe that i'm her dad mm -hmm. like nobody else gets to be her dad i'm her dad like that's amazing i get to be the dad to this kid because she's awesome Honestly, I think we're hitting the nail smack on the head when we almost unintentionally stumbled into this conversation about your intense love for your daughter. And we stumbled into it on the heels of this conversation about alcohol and like addiction to a sensation, mm -hmm. right? 
and about basically it's wanting to feel good and you kind of don't feel that way. And so you search for that feeling in things, mm-hmm. in substances, right? Mm-hmm. Have you heard of this guy, Johan Hari? I haven't. No. So, you know, to be completely honest, I don't know a lot about him either, but he has this TED talk. I think it's on the nature of addiction. And he talks about how the opposite of addiction is connection. There was this experiment that was run on addiction. Basically, they put this rat in like a cage. And uh, I think there were two sources of nutrition for it. There was like, you know, a little tank of regular water. And then there was a tank of water laced with, I want to say heroin, Mm -hmm. maybe some sort of drug. And basically, you know, the rat, I guess, tried both liquids and then eventually uh, it was drinking more of the heroin laced water and kept drinking that water till it overdosed and died and so the conclusion seemed pretty straightforward like okay yeah heroin is addictive and it's a one-dimensional deduction that they basically went away with from this experiment on addiction mm-hmm. later on this experiment was reevaluated, and some guy I, presumably a scientist of some sort he was like Well, let's think about it. This rat was just alone in this cage with like nothing to do, no one else to hang out with. Maybe we should kind of repurpose this experiment a little bit. So then they built this kind of like rat utopia and they had these rats and they had these little like exercise, you know, wheels that I guess rats like to run on. And there were female rats too so that the rats could mate Mm -hmm. and have all their like, sexual urges fulfilled and so on and so forth and they had lots of other food and cheese and whatever the stuff that rats love right and the same two tanks of heroin lace water and regular water guess what heroin lace water practically untouched so when we talk about addiction we're talking about addiction to a sensation Mm -hmm. the thing that you described as feeling good Mm -hmm. I would go so far as to venture calling that feeling the bedrock of the human condition. Mm -hmm. As human beings, we want connection. I think the most common form that that connection takes is relationships of some sort. Either it's your relationship with your family, your relationship with your friends, relationship with your pet dog, Mm -hmm. you know, your romantic partner. We're looking for connection. Sure. That's the most basic urge that we are ingrained with in some sort. Mm -hmm. And when we're not able to fulfill our cup of connection sufficiently with these healthier and more instinctual forms of connection, we tend to search for that same connection, that same feeling good in substances or in anything else. It doesn't even have to be just alcohol. It can be drugs. It can be food. Yeah, exercise even. There's like healthier manifestations of that feeling of connection and then there's unhealthier manifestations. And I think if we can understand that and spread that interpretation of addiction, I think it's a way to remove some of the stigma. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think it's already not as stigmatized as it used to be. Sure. And I think everyone needs to find a healthy outlet for the darkness that that they feel. You know, instead of trying to drench the flames of darkness with substance. Mm-hmm. The way you describe, like, you're just staring at your daughter and you are in awe of her existence. Mm-hmm. That's an intense source of, like, connection right there. Yeah. And you also said that a motivation for you to not 
keep drinking was because you have this beautiful girl in yeah. your life. I want to do what I can to at least do my part to ensure that I'll be around as long as I can be for her. Right. You know? Yeah. I've just been hyper-motivated lately by mortality, I feel like. By you know, mortality. Like, with having lost a couple of friends unexpectedly, like only a few months apart, that last friend of mine that 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 died, I mean, he was, he, he died the day before my daughter's birthday. Mm. And I found out from a friend about 10 minutes before my daughter's birthday party was starting. Jesus Christ. And I was a wreck. Yeah. Like, and my daughter, I hated that my daughter brought up, you know, six months later, like she asked if I was at her birthday party. And like, I was just like, oh, no, like. Wait, what happened six months later? Well, I mean, like she referenced something and she's like, were you at my birthday party? And I was like, yeah, of course I was. You know, like she didn't remember me there because I was like on the phone with, like I was getting phone calls left and right from all these people being like, what, what happened? You know, mm -hmm. like, and I was like a mess hiding behind sunglasses, trying not to, you know, break down in front of everybody. But I was just like in shock. Because mm. um, that was another thing, you know, like with, with him leaving two kids, two little girls behind, like, and he was like the, he loved those kids so much. Mm -hmm. Um. Yeah, I mean, my mom was in town for my for my daughter's birthday that year when it happened, and and I was just like crying to her all night, you know, just trying to process it all. Mm. And like every year on my daughter's birthday, my wife and I we set up an email account for her when she was born, mm -hmm. just so she would, <laughs> so she'd have that Gmail address. Who knows if Gmail is going to be a thing in twenty years? But every year on her birthday, we each email her separate notes, like basically like recaps of our year with her. Mm. and like from our point of view you know and like we we tell her about the things that she learned to do this year and like some of the milestones and some of the things that we've done and things like that so she can someday kind of look back on it and like just i don't know there's something there's something about it like and both of us end up crying every time we type these things because like we're watching our child grow up too quickly you know mm -hmm. <laughs> and like um and that year that like i had to i felt the need to like explain what happened with my friend to my to my daughter, my future, my daughter in the future, you know, mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. it was a hard thing to muster up a sentimental email to your, your kid when you're processing like the death of a friend. Yeah. So that was a tough one, you know, explaining about his little girls and things like that and like how things like that are tough. And right. I haven't read it yeah. since then, right. you know, like I'd kind of just let them go, Yeah. you know, um, but I don't go back and read them just because it's just like more for her. Right. That exercise to me is a prime example of the kind of connection and relationship building that you wouldn't have been able to do plausibly if you had just instead decided to numb yourself mm -hmm. with boots. Sure. Right? Like that email might have never become a reality. Yeah. Or it would have made far less sense. It would have made far less sense. You know, I mean, I don't know what would have happened, but. To me, it seems like the torture of having to go through those difficult emotions, you are actually able to repurpose, in some sense, that difficulty into this intimate email mm -hmm. to your daughter. And my guess is she's going to read that when she's older and it's going to have a profound effect on her. I mean, that's how you build connection and closeness with people mm -hmm. by just being real and being vulnerable. So your choice in bearing the brunt of 
processing difficult emotions as opposed to grabbing the ball of whiskey to suppress it mm-hmm. it's actually paving the way for this you know beautiful connection that otherwise may not have happened sure. and i think it's important to acknowledge that it's yeah. important to acknowledge the value in choosing like the harder path there needs to be some value in choosing the harder path there needs to be some value in the process of walking on the harder path mm-hmm. otherwise it's kind of like okay like why are we doing this right and it's easy for us as human beings to just lose sight of that like value sure yeah yeah i mean i'm i'm trying to practice gratitude yeah. as much as possible just just because like you right. know i mean it's so easy to forget right some of the things that you have that you're just lucky to have especially with the speed that everything just moves right as cliche as it sounds i've just always and i've been trying to teach my daughter this as well like i just always try to put out there what i want to get back i guess like mm-hmm. you know i mean i've been telling her like to treat people how you want to be treated you know it's just like and i really believe in that because it just can go a long way mm-hmm. you know like as as stressful as la traffic can get like and you don't want to let that guy like kind of merge in in front of you or whatever but like you never know like you let him do that maybe he'll do it for someone else mm-hmm. you know and like and then who knows how long that chain will go right you know and it's like nobody's going to get anywhere if we're if we're always just shutting each other out like right that, you know that's a powerful statement and very relevant in yeah. today's time it's crazy it's yeah. like i don't know you're a fucking great dad dude thanks yeah and just like an all around like great a human being <laughs> just putting <laughs> putting that out there Thank which you. is why i wanted to do this so i'm glad that we did this me too yeah and you know thanks a lot for having this conversation with me. I hope people enjoy our talk as much as I did. Yeah, cool. I'm glad you're doing it. Yeah, man. So, uh yeah, thanks again. Thanks for having me. <laughs>